Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from our guest speaker. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Good morning. My name is Jeremy Kingsley. Even though my family's a 20-year member here, I've been gone a long time because I'm preaching and speaking and helping different churches. But I got a text from Don this morning at 6.30. Today I'm sick. Can you preach this morning? I said, is this a joke? or is he? But yes, I am going to preach, so I apologize for whatever comes out. But let's pray for him and for this morning, and then we'll get into it. Lord, thank you for this day. We do pray for Pastor Don. Would you please heal him up? Thank you for his heart and his ministry. Bless Mary as well. Lord, as we open your word, open our hearts, instruct us in righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met someone that you might describe as marches to the beat of their own drum? Sometimes people that are just a little different maybe than the average person, maybe they dress a little different and you go, I would never ever wear that, but hey, that's their thing, that's what they wear. You know, Maybe you see someone that talks different. Maybe you see people that like different music that's not, not the most popular. Maybe you are around people that eat certain types of food and you're like, you really eat that? Now, a few months back, there was a movie that came out about Elvis. Now, I'm a big Elvis fan, people know this. And you might know, he was famous for liking fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Now, I'm an Elvis fan, but I don't eat those. But I do like peanut butter, and I used to eat peanut butter sandwiches all the time. My mom would let me eat them often. I'd have that ice-cold glass of milk, but she'd say, now, you can't eat peanut butter sandwiches every day, Jeremy. You've got to have something else somewhere. So I said, well, then let me have some bologna sandwiches then on the off days. Well, I think I was around six or seven. I decided, you know, I really like peanut butter sandwiches. And I really like bologna sandwiches. Well, Elvis combined peanut butter and bananas. I'm combining peanut butter and bologna. And I still eat those, and I'm 50, so don't be judging me. I like peanut butter and bologna sandwiches. I don't know why. March to the beat of a different drum. I like guys who, and ladies who are a little different. I like people that march to the beat of a different drum, especially, especially when it's a believer or a Christian who walks different than the world walks. So I'm going to take a few minutes to look at a guy in Scripture who was a little different than everyone around him. He built this big, huge boat called an ark. His name was Noah. So the title of this message is Noah, a different guy. Now, we're not going to have all the screens because I got a text at 6.30 this morning. So you might actually have to pay attention, take notes. And I don't know if you have one of these. This is a classic. It's an artifact. It's called a Bible. It's leather and paper. I don't know if you know what that is. But if you have your Bibles, open them up to uh, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, and remember there's a lot of different versions out there, KJV, NIV, WWJD, PB&JV, but I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 5, says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, the man and the animals and the creeping things and the birds of heaven. I am sorry I have ever made them. 
That's tough. So at this point in history, we would call this bad times, right? Bad times. Society was developing right now along two family lines. If you remember the story in Genesis about Cain and Abel, those are the two family lines. Now, Cain killed Abel, so then we have Seth's line, right? But in Cain's line, this was evil. They neglected and denied God neglected and denied God, but in Seth's line, they worshiped and served God. Here's the problem though. It's kind of interesting. One group was godly, the other were ungodly. One group lived to please God, the other lived to please themselves. Over about the first nine or 10 generations, the ungodly number grew great, but the godly numbers began to shrink. And the earth became so wicked, so corrupt, so filled with immorality and violence and lying and murder and sexual sin in this long list that God decides, I've got to intervene some way. And what's his reaction to this? Well, two things, judgment and grace. Judgment and grace. First, we have judgment, right? Now, some people don't like this part, but God is holy. God is just and sin must be punished. That's true, that's right, and that's fair. Now, we don't maybe like the fact that he's gonna come with this great flood to destroy the wicked, but that's his prerogative because he's holy and just. But don't think that in God's judgment, somehow there's a lack of love, because there's not. He doesn't take joy in discipline. He's not sadistic. A father doesn't take uh, joy in disciplining their children. That's why one of my favorite verses is Ezekiel 33:11. Easy to remember because 3311. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. See, we overlook sometimes the grace side. I grew up in the 80s, right? So 80s, whoop, yeah, play ball, guitar. I love 80s. I'm a big basketball fan. People know that. My favorite player was Michael Jordan. I also love Charles Barkley. And they help me with scripture memory sometimes. Yeah, did you know that? Barkley and Jordan helped me with scripture memory. See, Barkley 6.5, that's the first time in the Bible the word heart's ever used. Jordan 6.6, the greatest, and we see something about God in his heart. It's a little free one if you want to remember scripture there. It says this in Genesis 6, 6. I thought that was funnier when I wrote it. But <laughs> at seven with my pancakes. So Genesis 6, 6 says this. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth, and it grieved his heart. These first two verses where it says the word heart. Sometimes people say, Jeremy, we're made in God, God's image. How is that even possible? How are we even like him at all? Well, he has a heart and we have a heart. That's one thing I know for sure. But don't forget this. If you have a Bible or any way to highlight this, put a little circle or highlight his heart. God is not a brick. God is not a rock. God is not a stone. He's not some idol carved out of wood. He's the almighty who has a heart. This hurt his heart. See, remember this. He loves and he cares about you. See, Adam and Eve, they had that perfect relationship with God at first. Remember that perfect relationship? But then sin separated us. Adam and Eve made that huge, huge mistake. And you have to start asking, if this relationship that we can have with God is ruined, is there a chance that it could be restored somehow? Can we be forgiven? Well, the answer is yes. 
We even know back in Genesis a little earlier in chapter 3, verse 15, there's this promise about a Messiah and a Savior that he would come. It's the first promise given after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Theologians have this weird phrase for it. It's called proto-evangelium. Proto-evangelium or first gospel because these words spoken by God contain the first promise of redemption in the Bible. Remember where it says Satan will strike the heel? That refers to Satan's many attempts to cripple mankind, defeat Christ, but Jesus would crush the head. You don't want to be the one that strikes the heel. You want to be the one that, that crushes the head. That's a foreshadowing of Jesus defeating Satan, defeating evil through his death, resurrection, and his return. And he fulfills his promises. Don't forget that. So here's a question, though. If there's a promise for a Savior, and he just said, I'm going to destroy the whole planet, how's the Savior going to come? Well, that's one of the amazing things. When we learn about God's judgment, sometimes we learn about his mercy. His promises will happen. Look at chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, Noah, different type of guy. The one who beaches, uh, he marches to the beat of a different drum. Look at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. He walked in close fellowship with God. What a great verse. Might want to underline that one. He's a righteous man, blameless man. He walks close with God. That doesn't mean he's perfect. We see some sin later. But here, he's walking faithfully. His obedience is consistent. I like that phrase. His obedience is consistent. Or maybe you like this one. His inner character and his outer actions glorify God. His inner character and his outer actions glorify God. What a statement, though. Walked close with God. Wouldn't it be great if people described you like that? Well, you know, Julie, man, she sure does love God. Man, she's got that close relationship. You ever see anything like that? Well, I got that friend, Thomas. You ever listen to that guy pray? I mean, this guy's like this with Jesus. How do I get some of that? This guy walks closely with God. If you're a Christian, I hope you want that. You know, it says in John 14, 15, that he said, if you love me, keep my commands. I hope we have a passion to live righteously. People don't like the word obedience anymore. They feel like it's some kind of negative thing. Well, I don't know about that obedience. We've got to follow these rules in Scripture. Well, number one, you already have a messed up philosophy if that's what you think. Obedience isn't like that. That's why it says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, to keep his commands, and his commands are no longer burdensome. I look at obedience like a present. See, I've been married to Dawn, right, for 28 years. We've been best friends Let's see, 35 years. I like saying that better than we've been married 28 because you can go down to the courthouse and get a piece of paper that says you're married, but there's no piece of paper down there that says best friend on it. See, you could try and you would fail miserably if you try to stop me from getting my wife a present. I'll jab step you and I'll shoot that Jay in your face. I'm going to get Don some presents because I love her. I don't get her presence because I have to. I get her presence because I love her. I don't obey God because I have to. I obey God because I love him. And it's not burdensome. It's like God the Father gives me 20 bucks and says, hey, pick up something for Jesus today. I couldn't even do it if God didn't give me the money, but I want to buy some crazy present for Jesus. You ever give someone a present and you can't wait for them to open it? I hope that obedience happens when we follow Scripture, live righteously. We go, I hope you like that. Man, it was awesome, right? I mean... I hope so. 
The greatest command, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That gives him glory. That's what Noah's doing. You know what's amazing about this with Noah? He's doing this. He's loving and obeying God when the whole world around him is not. That's practical, isn't it? When everyone else's thoughts and actions, they're continually and totally evil, the Bible says. When everyone around him is consumed with disobeying God, he's following God. So Noah's the opposite. He stands up to everyone and goes, I will not conform to sinful culture. He stands up to people and says, I will not be talked into participating in some kind of sinful trends of the day. I'm not going to follow the crowd just because everybody's doing it. I'm not even going to live to please myself. I'm going to live to please God. And he's doing that in a tough time. So principle number one, if you're taking notes, principle number one, live godly in an ungodly world. Live godly in an ungodly world. Now remember his family, he's at his wife, and he has three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives, so eight all together. Can you imagine this would be kind of tough, right? I mean, who else does he have around him to help? I mean, at least we have each other. We have the church. We have the complete scripture. We have Christian music, Christian podcasts, Christian books. That's nice for us, but let's not pretend it's not hard for us too. I mean, it's easy to be a Christian in here right now, you know, at 11.05 or whatever it is inside Gateway Baptist Church, but you got to go home. Sometimes it's hard to be godly at home, isn't it? you got to go to work. Sometimes it's hard to be godly at work, isn't it? Well, I remember as teenagers, my parents used to say, and my teachers, uh, watch out for peer pressure. You know, they're going to attempt you to do some other things that maybe wouldn't honor God. You know what I've noticed? That's never really changed. I still feel peer pressure. Do you ever feel that? Pressure to conform to culture, to do things that maybe wouldn't please God? The world's kind of chasing us, Satan is tempting us. There's believers at work, I'm sure, that you'd like to say a few things that probably wouldn't fall too well with Ephesians 4.29. I bet you there's sometimes you're tempted to cut corners or maybe not have integrity. We have to be careful. There's a ton of pressure to indulge in the sins of the culture. And when you're in those situations, you know what we should do? We should pray for wisdom, pray for strength, pray for faith. I like this phrase, surround yourself with godly people and godly things. I learned that in 1996 from someone who was mentoring me. Surround yourself with godly people and godly things. Well, Jeremy, what about all the lost people? Don't worry. There's about seven billion of those. I'm going to see them pretty much every day anyway. Surround yourself with godly people, godly things. Walk closely like Noah did with God. You know, you can't walk close with God and let the world dictate how you're supposed to speak and act. Live godly in an ungodly world. So God says he's going to destroy the human race from the face of the earth, but Noah and his family is going to be saved. But how are they going to be saved? How? Well, he's got to build this ark. So look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So God starts to give some instructions, and Noah may not necessarily understand all the details and the reasoning behind all this, but God says, trust me and do what I say. Now, when I say Noah's going to build this ark, I'm not talking about a kayak. I'm not talking about a canoe, and I'm not talking about that 20-foot bass boat that some of you guys I see out on Lake Murray. That's not what we're talking about. This thing's going to be huge, right? This thing's going to be big. One and a half football fields long. Right? One and a half football fields long. Four stories high. 
There's only going to be one door. That's kind of interesting. There'll be storage rooms and living quarters. There'll be certain areas for the animals and so forth. It'll be waterproof, sealed with pitch. Now, Noah, he can't run down to Lowe's and Home Depot and get that Christmas present that some of you people are hoping for. You know, that cordless DeWalt 15 amp, seven and a quarter circular saw. Has that single bame laser guide. <laughs> you see that? That's not what he has. I'm teasing a little bit. I'm not even allowed to go to Home Depot and Lowe's. I got a lifetime ban. I got kicked out of Cub Scouts in third grade. So. He's not going to have chainsaws, circular saws, miter saws, band saws, table saws. This is old school if there is ever old school. He's got some kind of homemade axe. He's got to cut down and chisel these trees. It's going to take over 100 years to build. You know what's also interesting about this boat when I was reading this thing? I noticed something. There's no sails. No rudders, no oars, no engines. I mean, how is this thing going to get moved around? God's going to move it. God's going to guide it. God's going to protect it. So Noah, you know, he gets all this info, and it, it can be tough. People probably think he's a little crazy. But here's principle number two. Trust and obey God even when you don't understand. Trust and obey God even if you don't have the full picture, if you don't always understand. Sometimes God asks us to do things that don't always make sense. And you know what Noah needed right here? He needed faith. One thing I love about the Bible is the New Testament connects great with the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says this. It was by faith that Noah built the large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. Maybe you've heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him because he'll direct your path. It's easier to trust when you understand. Harder to trust when you don't always understand. And he says, don't always try to understand and lean on your own. But we have to trust still. So when that first day happened and Noah starts cutting down trees, I got to ask you a question. Like I was pretty good in school with the exception of math, history, science, and English. I did pretty good. I don't know if he was good at math or not, but did he start cutting on that first tree and say, now, wait a second, what's the limited instructions I have? A football field and a half? That's a long four story. This might take me a while, because if I carry the four, wow, is this going to be like 100 plus years? This could take me a long time. But guess what? Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. That's hard. This is a hard task here. God ever asked you to do something hard? Something that you knew would have some obstacles or some challenges, but we know we need to completely obey him? Besides the obstacle of all the work he has to do, physically speaking, I have to ask this question. There's still a bunch of people on the planet. You know, when I travel, sometimes I'd speak at churches and talk to leadership. Sometimes I work at some corporate companies. And when people say their biggest struggles at work, you know what's interesting? They rarely say it's the actual job. You know what they normally say? Oh, it's the people. It's the people I'm around. <laughs> That's the issue, not the actual job. I would love to know what the people were doing here. I mean, if Noah's doing all this work and people just pass by, hey, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? Big, huge boat. Biggest thing you ever see. Why do you need a big, huge boat? Well, I need it for protection. Protection from what? Well, God's about to bring some kind of storm. It's going to flood the whole earth and it's going to destroy everything. That's the only chance we got. 
What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. That's never happened. That's not going to happen now. I think you're a little bit crazy, my friend. Well, that's okay. You know, it's weird when you live by faith and you follow God. There are people that will look at you kind of weird. You will probably get some enemies. You'll get some people that gossip behind you and condemn you and so forth, look at you kind of weird. And this is an interesting fact, but sometimes your obedience to God makes others' disobedience stand out. There are so many people today that think the whole God, sin, salvation, the Bible thing's a joke, just like some of the people in Noah times thought. Well, they're both wrong. It says this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, during this long build, Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Interesting, another New Testament verse explained more about Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness in this 120 years. Principle number three, witness at work. Witness at work. This guy is talking about God, sin, and righteousness while he's chopping down trees, chiseling logs where he has these instructions for design. He's got certain things he has to do every day. But somehow in his interaction, he's preaching God and righteousness. That's interesting. That's hard, you know. Because sometimes when I think about that, I go, you know, I, I talk about a lot of things and it's not always Jesus. And that's convicting to me. You ever been around people that are real passionate about certain things? I mean, you can even ask Christians. That's when it gets real convicting. Hey, in your life, what do you think you love the most? Oh, Jesus, how much? This much. Love him this much. Okay. How much do you talk about him? Well, I mean, maybe this much. Okay, you love him here, but you talk about him here. I say, okay, let's just let's go with that a little more. Tell me about some other things you love. Well, you know Clemson Gamecocks, Tennessee. Oh, please. Seriously? I will talk about Gamecocks, Clemson, basketball, Jordan, Barkley, 80s music, and I'll be passionate about it. I'll argue about it. I'll debate about it. And you'll, you'll feel it because I love that. Maybe some of you can understand, but maybe it's not that for you. Maybe for you it's politics. Maybe you get in those conversations, man, and it starts building, and you get fired up, Democrat, Republican, independent, presidential, governor, whatever it is. Man, you go crazy over it. You can't wait to talk about it. You just wait for that trigger and boom, here we go. Here the conversation starts. Because you love it. You talk about it this much. Well, maybe that's not it for you. Maybe some of you it's food. And I'm not going to lie. In my house right now, there's something called pumpkin pie cake. It'll change your life. <laughs> I talk about it a lot because I love it. Maybe for some of you it's entertainment. Have you seen that new show on Hulu and Netflix and Amazon? And man, you've got to watch this thing. That thing will blow your mind. You talk about it this much. Then how come when we're around other people, we can talk about sports and politics and food and entertainment this much? And we talk about Jesus this much. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying I understand all the ins and outs of evangelism, but that's not right. If you say you love Jesus this much and you talk about him this much, something's wrong. The mouth speaks of the overflow of the heart. Are you sure your equation of how much you love God's accurate? Because I have to ask myself that. Hey, Jeremy, maybe you don't love Jesus as much as you think. One thing is I love learning about how much he loves me. That's the easy grace side. 
But when you flip the question for accountability, how am I doing in my love toward him? That one's a little tougher, isn't it? Witness at your work. Well, after all these years of hard work, one day, the rain starts, and it's a little different. But I'd be curious if it started the same way initially. I mean, drip, droop, boop, chant. What in the world? You know, I think this is it this time. Hey, we got to get my list together. Everyone get on the boat. Hey, you, my boys, you get your wives. My, my, okay, we're all on the boat. Okay, we got to get the animals. Where's my checklist? We have all the animals? Check. Okay, good. Do we have pillows and blankets? Check. That's good. Okay, what about our food? Do we have beef? Check. Grain? Check. Peanut butter and bologna? Check. We got... I mean, did Ham write that? He's such a ham. I'm not sure. But they got to get everything on there. And it's clear now, when this flood starts to come, that God was right. What he said was true and culture was wrong. Make no mistake today, people can say all they want against God and his word. But there's coming a day that they're going to know, because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, once everything is loaded, and it's time to close that one and only door... I just was wondering when I was reading it. So no one else came in? For 120 years, this guy's preaching about God's righteousness. That there's something that can happen for them. And they say, no. And I have to go back to that Genesis 6, 5. The earth was full of so much human wickedness that everything that people thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. His mercy was available. But people didn't want to repent and believe. They refused, and now it's too late. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 16, the animals were going in, male and female, and every living thing, and God, as God had commanded Noah. Then there's an interesting thing. I never read this and never thought about it over the years as I studied. And the Lord shut the door. The Lord closed them in. Interesting. The Lord shut him in. So 40 days and 40 nights, man, this was catastrophic. It changed the planet. This is one of the reasons why scientists struggle to understand the age of the earth. I mean, water above the highest mountaintop, right? Noah and his family, they're safe, they're protected, they're cared for. Now, they got to be in that boat for a long time. I wonder if that was a little struggle with the in-laws and the relatives and so forth there. Now, that's a long Thanksgiving, but finally, about after a year, the water recedes and God told Noah to step out of the boat. And guess what the first thing he did was? He'd say, let's have a party, man. I got the snow cone machine. Man, we have cotton candy. We'll have a little celebration about his protection. Nope, nope, that's not what he did. I know what he did. I bet you the first thing he did, he went out, he scoped out the land. I'm going to build the coolest house. I'm going to get the best lot. It's going to be the nicest thing you've ever seen. Even the property brothers would be jealous of this thing. That's going to be awesome. No, that's not what he does. His first thought was not about himself. His first thought wasn't even about his family. His first thought was about God. The one he walks close with, Genesis 8, 18 to 20. So Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all the large and small animals and the birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Principle number four. Thank and worship God for who he is and what he's done. Thank and worship God for who he is and what he's done. That's the first thing he does. Builds an altar. Took time to set up a place of praise and worship. Do you ever do that? Do you ever just take some time to thank and worship him for who he is and what he's done? I'll give you a little challenge. I'll make it simple. One night. 
365 days in a year, try it once for me. When you get in bed, pull your covers up, shut the lights off, time to go to sleep, in your little prayer as you're going to go off to sleep, just start saying thank you and see what happens. Thank you for my bed. Thank you for warmth. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my, my salvation. Thank you for your forgiveness. You just keep going. Just start thanking them for as many things as you can think of and fall asleep. And when you wake up in the morning, before you put your two feet on the carpet or on the floor, start the thank you list again. You're laying in bed. Thank you for my bed. It's very nice and cozy. I got a nice little cocoon right here. Thank you for today. Thank you for Thanksgiving. Do you just start the thank you list again, then start your day. See if that changes your life a little bit. Thank and worship him for who he is and what he's done. You know, he's the creator. He made the heavens and the earth. He's all-powerful, almighty and strong, all-knowing, holy, just, protector, friend, provider. The same God who's done all that is the one who says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Do you understand how amazing that is? The God who made those sunsets we see on the lake says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Thank him for that. So Christians, let's review. Four principles from the life of Noah. Live godly in an ungodly world. Trust and obey God even when you don't understand. Witness in your work. And thank and worship God for who he is and what he's done. Lord, help us to apply these principles to our life. But there's a couple little principles that I have to share because there might be someone here who's not a Christian. I don't know here who's a believer and who's not. Did you know that Jesus actually mentions Noah also in the New Testament? Jesus mentions him. Matthew 24, 37. For as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving to marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be when the coming of the Son of Man. See, God himself had a purpose and a plan for the ark. To save Noah and his family from judgment, preserving the family line to fulfill the promise of the coming Savior, Jesus. God himself also has a plan and a purpose for your life. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. If you're not a Christian, did you know you can be forgiven of your sin? Jesus died on the cross and got punished so you wouldn't have to. He shed his blood so you could have forgiveness of sins. That's why we have communion today. These symbols. The bread is a symbol of his body, which was broken for you. The juice, right? For his blood that was shed so you could be forgiven of your sin. That's why we remember that, Christians, right? We take time to remember what he's done for us in a special way. If you're not a believer, do you understand that's available for you? There was one door on the ark and there's one Savior. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Because by nature, we're lost. We're sinful, we're wicked, we're accountable, and we're without excuse. But you know what? His mercy is available right now. His grace is available now. So if you're not a believer and you want to give your life to Jesus today, doesn't matter how you say it, it's not some fancy prayer, fancy words. You just humble your heart. You say, Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner. 
I know you died on the cross so I can be forgiven. Would you please forgive me? I believe in you and I give you my life right now. He will come in and change your life. You can live with him now and forever in eternity. He loves you and he wants that for you. Well, as we get ready to pray and go to communion, I just want you to know we have the six stations set up. This is for believers. If you're not a believer, we ask you to refrain. But if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a member or a visitor. If you're a Christian, you're welcome to come when you feel it's time, your heart's ready. And when you take the elements, you can take them here. You can take them back to your seat. You can go to the side. Maybe you want to pray for a second. In a humble, thankful way, remember what he's done for you. That he died on the cross and saved you. Salvation was available because of what he did. Because he loves you. That promise to be your Savior now and forever. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. Lord, would you please help us? Help us to apply the principles that we learned from Noah. Lord, if there's anyone that wants to give their life to you, I pray they do it right now. You tell Jesus you're sorry for your sin. Please forgive me. I believe in you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Be my Savior. And as we get ready for communion, calm our hearts and our minds. We would come and remember that your body was broken for us. Your blood shed so we could be with you. Thank you for your love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, you come.